the moment I retired, because you touched on my retirement, I saw you five minutes afterwards, after I yeah. announced it, and you came to me and you whispered in my ear, you've made the right decision. Yeah. I never asked you why you said that. Welcome everybody to my Beyond Victory podcast and uh, today for me special day because uh, very very thankful and excited also to be able to speak to you Bernie and to really get a few uh, insights and uh, from, from your life and what you've experienced so far and to begin actually <laughs> I would like to cover a small real life story that just happened so I arrived here at your wonderful house uh, in Ibiza and, uh, and I forgot this little uh, Hello Kitty sticker on my arm uh, which is a little plaster that my daughter put on my arm. You noticed it, and we're sitting at the table, and suddenly, in the middle of the conversation, you shoot off, and to me, it looked like you're just about to sign off on some uh, multi-million dollar deal that you've just brokered or something like that, yeah, with your intensity that you shot off. And then you came back three minutes later, <laughs> and you said... <laughs> Actually, it was my uh, daughter that bought for me one of these little piggy socks. And... Uh, I thought they'd been, you should go home wearing them, I thought. It a nice thing to do. Because <laughs> I mentioned that my daughter is a huge fan of Peppa Pig. And so you had these Peppa Pig socks. Yeah, and, exactly. uh, and so you went looking for them. And I've got uh, Peppa Pigs everything. Peppa Pig everywhere. Even, yeah. a, even a grandpa t-shirt. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> so I've seen the picture. Unfortunately, you're going to miss out on that. But uh, it looked pretty cool. Anyway, so that was a bit of a real life, uh, real life happening that I thought was very, very amusing. And very, very nice. And anyway, so we're sitting here now in your... Back garden here in amazing house in Ibiza, and uh, we both sort of enjoy Ibiza a lot. I've come, I've come here all my life, and it's nice to see that you're also enjoying it more and more. And to begin with, I really wanted to ask, of course, which is interesting for everybody who's listening as well. It's about success, really. Yeah. So you're one of the most successful people almost the world has ever seen. Yeah. You've done incredible things in your life, and I think with with success, what I mean as well is legacy. Yeah. So what you've achieved and what you're leaving behind. I'm not going anywhere. No, no, what, you, what you've left behind so far. I Let left. me rephrase. Let me rephrase. Not leaving, left. Left behind so far. Let me rephrase. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can say the same with, with what I've done in Exactly right. I was just going to exactly, say that. I'm not going anywhere either. Exactly right. Um, but anyways, legacy. So with what you've left so, behind so far. And that's something that I am incredibly thankful for. Yeah, because I am here as well. Thanks yep. to you. Uh, everybody's listening, is enjoying F1. And that's something that you've created for them. Yeah, and you've made this uh, out of a sport that was even maybe considered a niche sport because not a lot of people were able to watch it. You've made something which is global, which is incredibly entertaining, which is such a fascinating sport really out there. Yeah, and it's one yeah. of the biggest sports in the world and one of the yeah. biggest happenings in the world. And this is thanks to you. Yeah, so first of all, we all need to say thank you in that sense. So really, I wanted to ask you a little bit, what's the initial drive in you that keeps you going so strong and has driven you to create such huge success and such a huge legacy? Like what, it, what gets you up in the morning through your life that really made you want to push so hard and, and achieve such great things? Well, I think I'm no more than lots and lots of people. You know, when you start something, you don't want to stop. You want to carry it all the way through until it's finished. But it's never finished. But you keep going. But the driving force, like I've, I've yes, done my research, exactly. of course, and, and you often say it's not money which no. you hear from a lot of successful people no, that they never no. focus on money. Exactly um, right. From you, I've, I've read that you more focus and you love the deal-making. Yep. You love 
brokering, dealing, yeah, If you send me to do something for you, I'd do the best I could. And the thrill of knowing that you've done an awesome deal yeah. and you've out-negotiated the other you guy. You knew whether you was doing a good job at the end of the race. I know whether I've done a good job at the end of the year. And that gave you the yeah. thrill and excitement. Yeah? Absolutely. But is there another dimension to that? Is it is it that you can then tell other people about that and that also brings in a certain recognition, no. which all of us humans need and we all strive for recognition? No, I don't want to tell other people things. If people find out, it's okay, but I don't want to go out and explain it. I mean, I think all business people that are successful really and truly are lucky. People say, he's a genius doing this and he's a genius and whatever. But we're lucky, that's all. It's a case of first you've been in the right place at the right time and when you see the opportunity, taking it. Not you see so many people say, I could have done that. Ah, that was my idea, I could have done it. And they didn't do it. And it's the guys that actually do it are the ones that get on. A lot of hesitation. And you commit and get the job yeah, done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I mean, that's what I've, what I've yeah, experienced as well in my absolutely. life. Absolutely. Another thing that I've seen is really focus and dedication. To really focus on, on the one thing that, that's at hand. And really drive home with the one mm. goal in mind. Which mm. in your case was creating this, this sporting sensation out of Formula 1. I think, you know, these things, like for me, because it's been going on for 50 years more or less since we started... It's adding a little bit all the time. You see, you made mistakes and you put things right and you think of ideas and commit to them. But at the same time, there was, I mean, you were a racing driver yourself. Was there also a love for the sport? Or was it you would just happen to be driven into that direction and there was a great opportunity for you that you saw and it was the love of making deals and, and doing something huge? Well, it really started when I bought the Brabham Formula 1 team because then I was involved with all the teams. Operate. And with drivers as well operating for them. Also, you as well, you were lucky at some stage in your life to be in the position you was in so that you could create what you created. Of course, luck always plays a role, yeah. But there's also John Player who said a quote, who said, the, the more you practice, the luckier you get. Yes, exactly <laughs> Which right. is where the dedication and yeah, focus comes that's in. that's what make, I'm saying. You make your own luck as that's well. That's what I've said. You know, when you offered the opportunity, yeah, you need to it. take it. Go for it. You're known for one of being, being one of the best negotiators out there, yeah? I've heard a quote from you um, everybody who's listening also is probably negotiating to buy their next car or negotiating yes. here, negotiating there. Yeah. So it's a very, very interesting topic because that's what we all do in life. We negotiate. So I wonder if maybe we can get one or two thoughts for everybody on, on what made you such a great negotiator. One quote that I remember from you is when you get the girl in the room, after that, everything's possible. That's called <laughs> negotiation. Exactly. So can you maybe elaborate a little bit on that and how everybody can I've, can I've, apply that and get that girl into the room? <laughs> I've forgotten how to do it now. I'm getting too old. But um, Yes, we must add that's in the times of not being married, right? <laughs> that you practice those skills. No, I think, you know, firstly, you've got to get people to trust you. I can travel the world doing deals on a handshake. Lots and lots of deals I've done, big deals, financially big deals, I've done on a handshake. And then people have said, we need a contract. We, have, we, we need to put a contract together. You know, we can't to have part of the deal otherwise. So this happened to me in lots and lots of times. So I think that's what's more important. If you do a deal with somebody and you realize you've made a mistake, don't complain. Get on with it. How important do you judge the first move? Because the guy who takes the courage to set the first level, so first price mm. or first expectation or whatever, and then everything sort of anchors on that. Isn't that the case? I don't think so. I mean, I think if you... 
lots of same as meetings. People go into meetings, and I guarantee you say before they go into the meeting, what do you want to achieve? They don't know. And that's what you do differently. You know exactly yeah. what you want to achieve. Yeah. And the pros and Why, cons of any possible outcome. Try and explain to make sure that people I'm dealing with know what we're trying to do. Not that we leave the meeting. Neither of us know what we try to do, which and is what happens so many times. Can you take us through the craziest piece of negotiation that you experienced? Something not everybody knows out there? Probably been something, so something really funny? <laughs> probably been so many. Or some really cool thing that you did where you uh, sort of in the middle, left the room, did something, came back, I think turned the thing on the head. Probably referring to something where we had with Max Mosley when he used to work with me. We were trying to negotiate it. I think it might have been trying to negotiate the original Concord Agreement or something. And we, I saw the FIA people writing down busy on bits of paper what they were going to do, what they were going to not do. And then they sort of threw them in the waste paper basket. Then they got up and left the room for coffee. This is at the time? Jean-Marie, yeah. Jean-Marie Ballester, your friend. Yeah. He was all right. Jean-Marie was a good guy. So I said to Max, I would get all the papers out because I don't speak French and Max is perfect. Have a look at those and see where we went wrong. <laughs> But silly things like that, you know, things happening to us. Anything a bit more spicy? You mean about getting the girl in the room? Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you what happened when we got there. Probably gave me a whack and sent me out. But still. <laughs> okay. Maybe along the way, then along the way through all the success, some of the mistakes that you've done, which you could, with all that you've experienced, help us to avoid do. And uh, me, for example, as well. I'm embarking now on a business career uh, after my racing career. Again, I've read the obvious one, which was writing your wealth into the name of your ex-wife, which maybe wasn't the best idea. No, But apart, apart from that one, no, that wasn't a, anything bad about that. I gave what I had to my wife at the time in order that she could um, look after things if I suddenly become deceased. Because at the time, they said, you know, I was going to have a heart attack or whatever. I was going to die soon anyway. So I disappointed a lot of people for a start. But that wasn't anything wrong with that. I so any other major mistakes? Happy to do that. I'm sure there was a... Probably, you know, in, I think generally in people's minds, your brain sorts things out. And probably all the mistakes, they put in another file or shred them and then they keep the good things going. So I don't remember anything particularly, but I'm sure I've made lots. I'm similar, actually. So there have been mistakes, but it's not something that I'm holding with me now where I say, no. oh, I wish so much I would have done that no, differently. Exactly right. So that's actually... It's actually Precisely nice right. But what about um, giving away control of what you had built up? Because what do you get out of giving it away? You just get money in the end. Is there anything else that you get out of giving something away that well, you, I, then you built? I, Well, I was still in a position, although I'd given the shares away, and she'd given them, and they set up a trust, and she set up the trust to look after the shares and invest yeah. for the kids and herself. But I was still really looking after the company that she had shares in. She only had shares in the company, yeah. and I was still running the company. So, But I meant also a bit further down the road then with the sale to the first and second different buyers and, and all that. Is that not something that would have been better to just keep on the, on the long run? I've been fortunate enough when all these different transactions have taken place and things have taken place, I've still been able to still be in control. Yeah. It was only when I got fired that I didn't have any control anymore. When our American friends 
bought the company. And the guy then, he said, you know, we bought the company a couple of days ago. Everything is completed now. And what I'd like you to do is stand down your position as chief executive because that's the job I want. I said, well, you bought the car, you might as well drive it. And good luck with it. <laughs> I, did, I didn't say good luck because I don't think he needed any luck. I thought, you know, he'd be able to run things properly. A little bit more towards moving on towards life a little bit more, from, yep. from success more over to life, which is also in the title, Beyond Victory. Has success made you a happier person? So has money made you a happier person no. and has success made you a happier person? No, I mean, I've, all the deals I've done and all the things I've done, I've never been done to make money. And making money has been a byproduct of me doing something. And as I always want to do the best job I can, I'm happy when I make money. That's the way to show whether I've done good or bad. So, so happiness for you comes along with those with doing some yeah. great, awesome deals, which is the challenge and the fight, and and meeting nice people, yeah. being with nice people, is more important. So going that path has made you a happier yeah. person. Yeah, because absolutely. You've had exciting experiences. Absolutely. I mean, I think people that have got money and can spend it really buy what they really certainly they don't buy what they need. Really buy what they're happy buying. So you buy something and it's forgotten yeah. too quickly. And most of the things we buy are liabilities rather than assets. <laughs> so more headaches with more money. Exactly. <laughs> and now with the intensity, which is, sure, I imagine, a little bit less than it used to be. Yep. And therefore the exciting deals that are coming through a little bit less than it used to be. I've been helping able... one or two people with things that they're doing. And but you're still able to be me. just as happy, yeah. even though you don't have yeah, all that uh, deal-making thrill? Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. sure. So, and that brings uh, to the next part, which is a bit more about work-life balance. Do you think that you got that right in, in your life? Because you were working extremely hard, of course, all the way through, mm. and still are in a way. Yeah. Is that something that, in hindsight, you think was exactly right? Yes. Or would you, in hindsight, make some changes? No. You know, I think people should do and work as much as they can and want. Some people don't want to work, and people sit there waiting. I'll be 16, three years, I can't wait, sort of thing. It's the wrong attitude. Because it is a big topic out there, yeah. yeah. In general, people are yeah. overworked, companies are expecting too much, yeah. people are addicted to their work. If the companies aren't, then it's themselves just trying, wanting too much and, and neglecting their, their private life and, and therefore going ever closer to burnout. It's a big topic out there which, which is difficult to find the right balance and it's something that I'm fighting towards as well at the moment and trying to find that balance myself and And it's not easy. It's really not easy. Well, it depends whether you're working for somebody or working for yourself. Because if you're working for yourself, it's up to you to decide. But if you're working for somebody and the boss is not, as I say, a sensible person to make sure the people he employs are happy and content in doing what they do. Yeah, but there's none of those sensible persons out there. Everybody is so desperate for more success, more bigger, greater, more money, or most bosses. There's very, very few that are actually sensible. Well, unfortunately, there's not many what we call the old boss, you know, whether it's the one guy that he had a problem to go and see. The dictator. He, yeah, he can call. <laughs> Even a dictator, yes. So it comes down to the company and the board, which is more, more, or, less, more or less run by the accountants and lawyers rather than the guy that's an entrepreneur. We're slowly but surely losing entrepreneurs. Uh, going on a quick, uh, quick tangent with, in terms of dictator, you always say that that's the better way to go for a company, yeah, yeah. rather than having a democratic Absolutely. group of people making decisions. Correct. Uh, so that's fine. But what happens when the dictator then 
is not doing a good job and goes the wrong way, what kind of structure do Chuck you suggest? No, but yeah, exactly. But what kind of structure do you suggest to judge that? Get another dictator. Get him out. Get another yeah, dictator. But, so there's a board on top who can judge the dictator, which doesn't takes away from the dictator again. So how how do you exactly how do you suggest that structure? To well, I think it would be obvious if the guy wasn't doing a good job. How is it obvious? To who? Who makes the decision? Well, well the company is supposed to be making money. But even making terrible decisions for the long term, in the short term, you can still. But well, they all the excuse always is long term because nobody knows what it is. So Today, who's, who's going to chuck him out? Well, it would obviously have to be the board. But can the dictator then have enough free play with a board on top ready to chuck him out? Well, he's got to do what he thinks is the right thing to do. And as soon as the board starts saying you can't do that because you're making mistakes and wrong, then the guy should leave. If you're not happy with me, bye bye. So you're a, you're a you're a fan of Trump, for example, in that sense yeah. as well. He was a bit of a dictator and, I said and a guy who gets stuff done in your in your he, words, right? He, Trump is the best thing that's happened to the world in the last few years. Best thing. He's woken everybody up. You know, he's done things. If there was a board, which should be in America, I suppose, would never do what he's done. So what's the best two things he's done so far? I don't think there's anything really wrong. Well, the, the best thing he's done so far, which he's managed to implement and, and get the job done. Well, he's sorted people out about people coming into his country that shouldn't be there and saying that this shouldn't happen to other countries. You think that's the best uh, best message? I think, well, I think it's one of, the thing, one of the things he's done. And been good, yeah. strongest message to, towards yeah. uh, Europe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's got the dollar very strong, so he's in a position to dictate a lot of policies. That he could Does that from. judgment as well come a little bit from you having met him? And you being impressed when you met him, or is this a very different judgment When I now? met him, I wasn't impressed. So why do you judge him as so good now then? See what he's done. You follow what he's done. And why yeah. weren't you impressed when you met him? Because he hadn't done anything, particularly those days. And asking, waiting, wait, and thinking he's much stronger than he actually was. Much well, bigger. I think the minute, I mean, he wanted to be famous. He's got that now, hasn't he? Yeah, he, <laughs> well, he, he, he was well known. The big difference between being well known and famous, and I think he always liked to be famous wanted to be famous. And I suppose you couldn't do much more than what he's done to be famous. And he's used that and he doesn't care what he says and what he does. And he gets on with it. And since we're on the topic of life, uh, Nelson Mandela, you also met him. What is the most inspiring thing about him? You had quite a lot to do with him at the yeah. time, no? Yeah. Is there anything that you've learned for your own life from him or, or that you can tell everybody's listening? The most inspiring thing that, that you saw in him? Well, I think the way he was treated being colored. I said to him once, I had lunch with him, and he was drinking some wine. I don't drink, and he was drinking a, a sweet wine. And I said to him, so when did you start drinking this? He said, when he was in prison, the guy that was running the prison, he used to, at the end of his time, he used to have him have drink lunch with him, whatever, and he started drinking this. That was a good way for him to feel good, that sometimes white people aren't as bad as... Because it, it was terrible in South Africa. I don't think it's bad anywhere else in the world as it was in South Africa those days. He's a lovely guy. I looked, I helped him a lot with children and creating things for the kids and things. And his ability for compassion is his strongest, uh, yeah. his strongest asset. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So it's giving without expecting yeah. anything in return. Exactly. Look the other way a bit, you know. Which is what a lot of people uh, say about you as well. Um, you don't have to confirm, of course, but a lot of people give you those attributes as well, that you you love helping everybody who's dear to you and, and who's around you. Yeah, so people should. 
also a big thing that can bring happiness is compassion. Yeah. yeah. That's what and if you, if you feel you can make somebody happy, it's good for you. It yeah. makes you feel good as well. The difficulty is keeping that pure and really just doing without expecting that, oh, I'm doing it because I want myself to feel happy as well. Yeah, and That's also thinking what people want you to do is genuine because I'm sure you do and I get a lot of people that are asking for things which I know the reason they're asking is for them. I mean, I get letters, probably you do, people, and I call them begging letters. And you can see they're the same letter that goes to 50 people. Yeah, of course. What is, what is something you're, you're afraid of in general, in life? Nothing, really. No fear? Fearless? <laughs> That's strong. No, not really. I mean, people say, yes. I mean, if somebody wanted to kill me or do something, they'd do it. They wouldn't ask me. And they'd find an easy way. And no fear of once again going back into some of those darkest moments that you maybe had in life, which all of us once experienced? I can't remember any of them which are that dark to worry about. I, mean, I had a problem um, when I was prosecuted in Germany, which I could have been locked up for a long time. So that was really tough? Well, I knew I was innocent, so I didn't worry. I was four months in court. So it's not tough then? It's no, fine. I wish it hadn't happened, yeah. but it's, if I'd have been... Anything had happened, it would, well, I, I would have probably been upset now. <laughs> you would have, yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's reassuring. Maybe we move on to F one a little bit now. Then it's a hot topic at the moment. Like, so if you were if you were in charge for twenty twenty one, when everything starts from scratch, how would you do it? Because the p- main problems are, as we know, there's not enough overtaking, there's not enough unpredictability. That's the two big ones, isn't it, at the moment? I would say. You agree? Well, I've been involved in Formula One for an awful long time, and the overtaking nonsense has been there since it started. Yeah, yeah, but there's never been a, a proper solution put in place. Motor okay. G- MotoGP is more fun to watch because there's just so much more overtaking and action happening on the track. If you was you know racing a bike, you'd find it easier to overtake than with a car. Yeah, but the, you don't that, take so much. That doesn't room. matter. You still want the cars to try and get as much overtaking done as possible because that's what brings the entertainment and the fascination about it. So what would you do, is what you're asking me. So yeah, yeah. so you're in charge. So you, you what could would you eat, do? I mean, you could do... I think we shouldn't change Formula One from the way it started. Race that links the same, same sort of circuits, everything's the same. And the guy, I, against, as you know, all this nonsense about telling the driver what to do and what not to do. Sit him in the car when the lights go out. Simplify. Okay. So really simplify. Yeah. Let, give, let him give, get on with it. Give the driver more. Yeah. Let him get on with it. And aerodynamics, do you have a view on that? Because aerodynamics is the overtaking killer. We all, yeah. we all know that. Well, um, that's the t- technical regulations that could stop that. How? Well, whoever's doing the, those regulations, I'm quite sure, could, could do it if they wanted. Okay. The trouble is all the engineers want to win. Of course, they want to win tomorrow. So when they're coming up with the regulations and people say, well, it's exactly right. That's good for me. They've already got something organized from the year before, mistakes they've made. Not going to do that next time. So they know exactly what they're going to do. That's the general problem. And it's the same for the teams. They have so much power and all they want to do is win tomorrow. Exactly right. And they're just thinking about themselves and they never have the long long vision. So in effect, you would take power away from all those people and make the decision central, which is a bit what Ross is doing at the moment. Yes, I think... And they do it themselves, they decide, and get, get the job done and implement, ideally. I think if I was put in the position to have to make a decision, I'd say, these are the regulations, 
being the championship or that's up to you. Got a month to decide, you decide what you want to do. Yeah. But these are the regulations that aren't changing. And the important thing, I think, is not going to change them for three years. Because when you start, you see somebody else has done a lot better. They, people copy and then eventually. So probably the second year, you get a lot better racing. So I would, in my opinion, the, the aerodynamics really is to do a lot more ground effect. Maybe even yeah. something that's dynamically moving on the car to correct for, for when you're behind another car in front and you lose for non, not, no fault of your own. You're losing aerodynamic performance from your car just by mm-hmm. being behind someone else. This doesn't make sense. It, no. it shouldn't, shouldn't no. be like that, ideally. So maybe something semi-artificial, even that that corrects that out the way as as part of the ground effect or something like that. Which is what we a, had at Brabham with a fan car that sucked it to the ground. Yeah, we didn't have to worry about wings. Yeah, so maybe something something more in that direction. I think could be could be quite powerful just to just to make it possible to follow closer, which will make the racing uh, racing more exciting. And you think uh, you think even to um, standardize engines? No, can't you do, do need that, that competition. Yeah, um, yes, you can't do that. Yeah. And the cost cutting, is that something that you, you, you think you is nonsense? You can't stop people spending their money. They'll find a way. Yeah. yeah. To, to win, they'll find a way. So it's a useless attempt. Absolutely. We, I mean, they tried, we tried two or three years ago. Will never work. The FIA tried with Max, and then Jean Todt tried again, got a company in to have a good look at it. It's not possible. And when is that one going to be electric? There's no way around that, because the whole world is going electric. So That's at some true. point, they have to follow They can't be running combustion engines when the world's going electric. Well, we could do, I think you could do one of two things. You have to say, Formula One is entertainment. Otherwise, you might as well say, why do the belly dancers, why don't they have to wear sneakers? So it's a bit difficult, actually, to say that. I mean, it's, it's always been like that. But having said that, I'm sure within five years, we're going to see a lot more electric cars on the streets. Yeah, that's, that's the way, yeah. And probably... And I think if somebody really got back, if, if the teams that we currently have are bright people, know what they're doing, the engineers know what they were doing, if you had a regulation where they had to be sort of electric, they'd make it work. The problem is Formula E has the rights. Formula One isn't, wouldn't even be allowed to go electric for the next 25 years. I don't believe that. Yeah, it's the fact. Uh, Agag just said that. Agag said it, yeah. That doesn't mean too much, right? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I, I do believe it. Anyways, I think uh, Formula E is in a pretty strong position there with the FIA. But then it becomes what suits who. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what you just said may be right. Yeah. What about Formula E then? You know, I'm a longer-term shareholder in that. Not too long ago, you were completely against that and said that's never going to work. I don't think Have you reconsidered now? or I don't think it's working now. I think it could work a lot, lot, lot better. But you think it can be more, sure. even more of a success? Absolutely. So? So now you've changed your opinion a little bit. Yeah. So sometimes even you get it slightly wrong. Well, no, it's not, a, it's not a case of getting slightly wrong. It's a case, really and truly, of things have been developed. What was the big problem for the batteries? Yeah. And That's now, the electric car world in general. Yeah. The batteries are the only now problem. it's a lot better than it was. Next year, Formula E cars will be able to run a whole race without having to stop. That's a big, big, big development. An important one because yeah, it's yeah, uh, sure. important for the message that's being yeah. sent out. Yeah. Manufacturers are coming in. Though for Germany, it's going to be exciting. It's four yeah. top manufacturers, premium manufacturers, the fighting minute, it out. The minute you've impressive. got the ten big manufacturers involved, you can guarantee the costs will go up for people. Of course, yeah. And it's going to be more exciting. Yeah. Better racing for sure. It's uh, good. Look forward to that. Even my father puts an alarm clock to watch Formula E races. Really? And that's the, he's the ultimate petrol head, so that was uh, and that's a good the other, indication. 
Yeah, but that's the other problem. It's not broadcast in the same way as Formula One. Difficult to watch it, Formula E race. So that's another thing that needs to be sorted. Well, it's young. It's still young and, and still needs, to, needs that's to build the changed. audience. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So it needs to build the audience and it's going to take a bit of time. Yeah. Quick interruption that was, and now we've changed location to the other side of the house with the most amazing view over the Mediterranean and the and the neighboring islands. And that was to escape the big grasshopper sound. So I hope your sound is better now when you're listening. And now another small funny moment was we're trying to go for dinner afterwards and we're trying to book in the restaurant here on the on the beach. The answer was, no, sorry, we're fully booked. But the added benefit of being well-known is that... Your name got the, us in, thank God. The... <laughs> my, <laughs> the the Ecclestone card was dropped, and uh, so now we do have a table. So there's some, some added benefits that come along with being uh, well-known in this world. It's not only good, there's also difficulties about being well-known. It's a, it's a trade-off, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Life's a trade-off. Life's a trade-off. Life is hard, right, did you say? Yeah, exactly. Earlier on? Can be. Life can be hard. People make it harder than it really is. <laughs> you know, when you look at the way some people in the world are currently suffering, you look at what's happening in India, with a silly thing like a rain, which is raining, that's all. People, a lot of people dying. Life ain't fair. What are you doing? Uh, pro do you have some great projects uh, out in the world where you're helping? I, I suppose maybe in Brazil. Yeah, we do quite a lot in Brazil, but do bits and pieces everywhere. Yeah. Really, to help such uh, yeah. such great yeah. suffering. Yeah, we all have the mental suffering, but but if you then have the real yeah. existential suffering, that's a whole different, uh, completely different level. Of and, and most of the suffering we have, we can deal with. And probably most of it we, we brought about ourselves anyway. Of course. Yeah. But these people, just because it rains, we look at half the world wishing it would rain for the crops and things like that. And you've got another half saying, look at the bloody rain. It's yeah. killed a lot of people. Um, just coming back to F1, topics at the moment is, first of all, Alonso retiring. And, and, and there's quite a debate about if he, is he one of the greatest of all time or not, yeah? And I have the view that if you take him as a pure driver, yeah, he is one of the greatest of all time, but it takes more than that to be a great Formula yeah. One driver. And, that, and what also comes into it is being a good team player, having good social skills, getting yourself in the right places all the time, getting the great cars to drive so that you can win races and championships, and that has been his biggest weakness. Yeah. So does that maybe take him away then from being one of the greatest of all time, or would you still consider him? I think what you're saying is right. As a driver, if you leave it when he's in the car, yeah. sure, he, he is. But it's not only that. But in other areas of the way he's been, he's acted or had to act, he's not been the greatest. I tell you another guy that was a fantastic driver, never won the world championship, could have done, Sterling Moss. Same sort of reasons. Never in the, the right car at the right time. Yeah, but that was more of a just poor decision making, no? Because he was actually a very socially skillful guy, wasn't he? Sterling? Yeah? Yeah, sure. So that's a bit different. Because he yeah, just sort of made the wrong decisions or yeah. patriotic decisions to go yeah. with an English team. Whereas Fernando, it's that the top teams just don't want him. Like Red Bull now has a vacant seat they will not even consider him because they know that it might bring them all sorts of difficulties having him in the team. I don't know if it's caused any problems to any team, real problems where they say, we don't want you. Maybe he's sort of had the wrong advice and sent him up the wrong road. Bad manager. Well, no, Just I, kidding. <laughs> it's your, your, your dear friend. Well, I don't think Flavio was his manager. I don't think Flavio 
really was bad for him, quite the opposite. No, no, of course, he did a, did a great job with him. Yeah. yeah. What exactly Decisions what he made to do and exactly. say what he wanted to do. Then, when the moment I retired, because you touched on my retirement, I saw you five minutes afterwards, after I, yeah. I announced it, and you came to me and you whispered in my ear, you've made the right decision. Yeah. I never asked you why you said that. Because you made a decision. You didn't muck around. As simple as that? Yeah. For me, it was the perfect way Yes. to end that, that F1 run. Because you, you just don't know what's going to happen with the rest of your life, which may not have happened if you had a continued reason. Ricardo, moving to Renault. Surprised. I mean, you're, you're still friends with Christian Horner very much, yes. very closely, yeah, yeah, yeah. so maybe, yeah. maybe you know some, some more, but I'm sure the big problem is for Stappen. I mean, he's incredible. surprised. Incredibly big talent yeah. for Stappen, and of course he's in there, positioned well in the team. It's not really a comfortable place to be alongside him. I don't think uh, any of the, the world-type champions today would want to be have him in the team. I think he'd have a bigger job of getting a seat in the team than Fernando has. I don't think Ferrari will welcome him with open arms or Mercedes. This is for Stappen, yeah? Yeah. Well, I'm not so sure. He's very special. Yeah, but he's, I mean, put it this way, you wouldn't be delighted if you was in the team that was, whatever, forget the word number one, but assuming you're the top guy in the team, yeah. and somebody says, your guy that's going to drive the other car is for Oh, no, that's a different story. Uh, that's what I'm a, saying. As a number two car or, or, that's what I'm or saying. joining another yeah. settled number one, that's not yeah. going to happen, yes. Yeah. That I understand, yeah. So but Sebastian wouldn't want him, no. I'm sure. No. Lewis wouldn't want him. No. Who's going to be champion, Sebastian or Lewis? Please don't say the guy who has the most points at the end of the season. <laughs> we all know that one. <laughs> that's a standard Bernie answer. Bernie's very good at dodging bullets, though. Seems to me at the moment that Perhaps the Ferrari is a better car. And between the two, between Lewis and him, I wouldn't say there's a big difference. So I think maybe Sebastian can win the championship. I go for Lewis. Such a machine and, and obvious choice. And a team as well. I think they're gonna they're gonna win it again. And Ferrari just they just mess up too much. Well, that's the whole point. They get it wrong too much. I think the car's better. Yeah, yeah, but they just they but don't have it the, the other effect. bits and pieces around it. Yeah, with the organization, and that's why I never have the feeling that they're going to be able to carry it through. I always think, whenever they're strong, I think, okay, Mercedes is going to come back next race. That is the problem. Yeah. I think Ferrari are a little bit more used to losing than Mercedes, so it's easier for them to lose. Yeah. Now, whether or not now. There's a little bit more, it's a bit calmer inside the team, and maybe the team manager can do a few more things that he didn't want to do or couldn't do before. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's going to be a help. But there's always the danger. Probably you couldn't say about the package, Lewis and Mercedes or Sebastian and Ferrari. You'd have to say, it's how the package is going to work. Um, two, two more um, small add-ons. One is one is Nikki, uh, who's uh, mm. who's a, a friend of yours, of course, uh, who I know is recovering at the moment in in yeah. hospital. And uh, you said a very nice story about him before, where you say if one person can recover from something like that successfully and, and very quickly, then it's Nikki yeah. because of uh, a memory you have of him for for Monza. Can you just yeah. quickly talk about that? Uh, well, he shouldn't have. After the accident, he shouldn't have come back as quick as he came back. Yeah. And I was with him in Monza at the time after the first practice he had after the accident. He took his helmet off and there's still blood running down his face. But the heels wasn't healed. And that's Nicky. Didn't cry, didn't want to go home and go and see his mother or anything. Unbelievable. Put his helmet on and got on with the qualifying. 
the shock of almost having died in your head, and then you're going to you're going to free practice, taking mm. blood rolling down your head, quick break, and then yeah. off into qualifying. He's a special guy. Unbelievable. So anyway, we we wish him well at this point. The last one was a bit random. Is you have, you have a very good, um, amazing car collection as well, yeah? And yet I've read that you don't actually enjoy the cars. Why have you bought so many cars then? Is it again just the deal making that gets you the thrill, or what's the point? No, of I so wanted cars? to collect what I thought was the best <laughs> Formula One car collection. So yeah. I've got. Have you got that? One offs of things that nobody else has got. Have you got that now? Yeah. Mm. So that's why you don't thing. actually enjoy having them. Well, I don't go and see them, and you know, other people go and have a look sometimes, but I don't go and see them. And the point of having them then, that thought of having—I think it's like most collectors. If you're collecting something, yeah. you want to think you can collect the best of the category you're collecting. It may not be right. I mean, there's a lot of guys got unbelievable collections of different yeah. type of cars. I'm but a lot about of them would also like to brag about it. It's a way of getting recognition as well. I've got this. I've got that. I've got this, and and. Or people do that. Or making money, investing, trying to make money out of it. So, um, thank you very much, Bernie. I really, really appreciate your time. Over and out from Beyond Victory. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye, everybody. Adios. <laughs>